Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the All Stats Aren't We review of the Palace away game and a preview of the Arsenal home game. I'm Darren Driver, the Liam Cooper of the podcast. Everyone will surely be glad I'm back. And I'm here with Adam Elliott, the Liam Cooper of the podcast, dribbling his way into trouble and giving away a crucial (laughs) free kick. Duh, silly old coops. And finally, the Liam Cooper of the podcast diving in when standing up is all that's required. Maybe we didn't miss him after all. It's John McKenzie. John, how you doing, buddy? Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> yes, it's nice to be here, isn't it? It's uh, Yes, I've been looking forward to being able to talk about Leeds United all day, Darren. <laughs> I'm sure you have, which is why, John, you had you put yourself forward so positively for the <laughs> podcast and I didn't have to approach you on bending knee yeah. at all to get you on, did I? <laughs> Shall I, um, should we have a look at what, what actually happened in that conversation? Because yes. I've forgotten. Yes. I'm actually interested to hear this. Um, you free to pod, bro. 20 hundred. <laughs> yeah, can do. Thanks. I'm not writing a running order. We can freestyle. Just kidding. To be honest. There we go. And then we talked a little bit about snooker. So. We did talk about snooker and that was the highlight of my day so far. Um, Adam, how are you doing, buddy? Yeah, I'm, I'm really good. And, and as we speak, I've just got a notification that uh, Willie Nanto scored his first goal for us. So fantastic. That's good, and that is, of course, in the under twenty ones rather than in the first team. But that's that's that is good news. Thanks. Can very I much can I raise a that. point of pronunciation order? Yes, please do. Willie, with the Willie, the guy who, who we have, who's Italian, yeah, mm. presumably pronounces his name in the same way that you pronounce gnocchi, right? So it must be gnonto. Maybe. What do we think Probably. about that? What do we think about that pronunciation? I'm I'm prepared to go with that. I'm I'm prepared to go with. I mean. I always defer to John on matters of pronunciation. Mm, um, me too. Even when I forget what he's taught me and say something completely different. <laughs> I mean, I could be completely wrong, but it sounds fun, doesn't Nyonto. it? Nyonto. Yeah, let's go with Nyonto. That's good. That's good. Maybe if uh, there are any um, Italian listeners who would like to help us with this, please do send a clip um, to the usual address and we will ignore um, what you say or <laughs> mer- or mercilessly mock it as we've done with other... Um, people who sent stuff in anyway other matters arising um Notts County are good fun John have you watched Notts County at all so far this season I have not no 
Ah, Adam? Um, no, I think our good friend may have, but n- neither mm. of us. Friend of the well, podcast, Josh Hobbs. Friend of the podcast, Josh Hobbs may have done. Mm. Um, they are delightfully nice to watch uh, and and play some really nice passing patterns. They're quite incisive. They've got some skillful players and they're, they're fond of giving away a silly goal through overplaying out um, from the back. So if you are, in fact, bored of watching Jesse Marsh's Leeds United, as I, in fact, am, um, please do check out Notts County. They're, they're quite good fun. Um I was thinking today, and I wanted to share this story because it came to me while I was out with the dog, and I was thinking about, you know, you sort of mind wonders about the place. And I remembered um, I used to work as a caretaker during the summer holidays um, from uni um, at Car Manor um, High School in Leeds. Uh, and I was working there with a the guy whose name I've forgotten, but he was quite he was a nice guy, a bit dense, but he was he was quite a nice bloke. Uh, and he was one of the other caretakers. And whenever it came to doing a DIY job, which required a screwdriver and a drill, he would never have the drill. So he would he would sort of he would screw the screw in and he'd get it about halfway in. And then when he couldn't get it any further, he'd say, "Oh, I'm going to give it a Barnsley kiss." And, I, and I'd go, "What do you mean?" And then he'd get a hammer out of his toolbox and just twat the screw. <laughs> until it either bent or went in the hole. And it was that that reminded me that that is the perfect analogy for Leeds United's attacking process. Give it a Barnsley. So if you, don't have this, if you haven't got the skill or the tools, just twat it with a hammer until it sort of nearly goes in. Mm. How does that sound to you, John? Yeah, that's that's quite nice. Quite a nice analogy. Um, I'm, I'm not sure where to go with it, but yeah, I like it. Good. Thank you very much. Okay, um, so let, let us now move on from me reminiscing about things that happened 20 years ago, uh, which Only I may 20. have remembered. <laughs> yeah, it's 20 years ago. Cheeky, cheeky fucker. Um, no, it was <laughs> Back when Darren was three right? years old, yeah. <laughs> Child labour in Leeds with Darren. Uh, yeah, it was 22 or 23 years ago, to be fair, Adam. Uh, I was working there when Lucas Radebe scored that goal where he fell on his arse and did an overhead kick, whatever year that was. So that was 1999. It's actually nearly 25 years ago. Um, anyway, so let's talk about um, Crystal Palace 2, Leeds United 1. And as ever, we're going to start with the interrogation. Okay, question one. And I'm going to come to you first on this, Adam. I've heard mm-hmm. a lot of narrative which suggests that Leeds United were good in the first half at Crystal Palace. My question to you, my friend, is were we good? And if so, why and how? In, in some aspects, yes, we were. Um, we certainly did suffocate them for large parts of that half where the counter press was effective and yeah we looked quite threatening in in places um but did we create enough on our own with that i wouldn't say we did we created a few good chances but that was about it were we deservedly on top and did we deservedly score though i would say yes um and that was the period of the game that first sort of half an hour 35 minutes where we really need to make some sort of dominance count now saying that i don't think we were completely dominant either because it was more that we were just sort of suffocate them in good areas and and players are sort of hunting impacts um with lots of men forward to sort of squeeze them in in the areas where you you would want to do that and they weren't able to play out at all and build the ball up but um yeah that that was probably the the best we've counterpressed under marsh for quite some time i would say but it didn't last very long obviously um but yeah it was it, the the good thing i i noticed was the the not just the packs but like a player would go hunting for the ball and then there'd be also someone just like almost waiting behind him. So if they managed to bypass that player, there was someone waiting to just come in straight away and nip the ball. And we did create some things from that. It was certainly chaotic in their third of the field at times. And, and most of our good chances did come from 
either individual mistakes from them that we kind of caused or um, just moments where we've kind of pressed, we've turned the ball over and, and then we've managed to create something quite quickly from that. But uh, having said that, I, I think people are over-egging how good we looked. I think the, the best part was just the way we pressed. John, my reading of the game was very much that Palace quite naively played into our hands in the first 30 minutes. How did you see it? Yeah, I mean, it's what we've been saying a lot on this podcast in the Jesse Marsh era is that Leeds being good under Jesse Marsh and Leeds being bad under Jesse Marsh has a lot more to do with the opposition manager rather than him. Um, I'll be honest, I don't think my analysis is going to be that insightful because I find this kind of football hard to analyse. I mean, a lot of it is is chaotic and that's kind of the point. You generate a chaotic game state and you look to be better prepared for those chaotic moments. But it is starting to look very much like the opposition simply need to decide if they're not able to play through the press, then they just play over the press and um, constantly try and stretch leads so that they can't ever get into a situation where they are able to counter press. Or if they are good enough to get through the press, they just play it through the press. Um, and those mm. seem to be the two options. And um, we've seen it happen in a lot of games now where, where we'll be good for a spell until the opposition accepts well you know we've adopted the wrong approach here we should try this other approach and then you know that 20 30 40 45 minute spell ends up being flipped on its head and within very little time at all we start looking not very good at all and so Mm. yeah for me the the issue is not necessarily do leads look good at any point the issue is is this a functional way of playing football over 90 minutes in the premier league and i think increasingly people are of the opinion no it's not Mm. yeah and as you uh, mentioned there uh, john palace played a few made a few simple tweaks they went more direct. They pushed a bit higher up the pitch, I think. Um, and I guess, you know, like re- related to what you said, how how concerned are you that once this happens, once a team does this, once a team decides that they're just going to go over the press and either hit players in wide areas or, or, or wherever, that we're simply unable to counter it or combat in any effective way? Yeah, we saw it in pre-season happening with, uh, was it Brisbane Raw that we played in pre-season? Um mm-hmm. That, that was a team who, you know, struggled in the first half and then switched up in the second, went a lot more direct, didn't allow Leeds the territory to be able to do their counter press in those dangerous areas and actually caused us quite a few problems in the second half. So, yeah, I think it's it's worrying that that, that, that this sort of thing can happen. But it's it's something that we've seen in Red Bull football across different leagues, across different seasons. Um, so, I mean, even take Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich are playing a much closer form of football to um, Red Bull-style football at the moment. Um, they went 2-0 up against Borussia Dortmund at the weekend and were unable to hold on to that lead, I think, in part because they didn't have the possession structure to be able to actually just see games out. And that seems to be the problem with this approach is that it is very intense and that at times your intensity can blow other teams away. Um, in those duels, in those individual 1v1s or whatever, um, when when you're out of possession. Um, but the problem is, is that if you don't translate that into enough goals, then you're in a situation where you're going to have to hold on to the ball for a period of time. And, and if you can't do that, then other teams will just come back into the game. Mm. And I guess, Adam, based on, on, on you know, what John's just said, I, I had a couple of thoughts, really. One of which, and you can please answer both of these, one, one of which is that though we are making a number of chances and, and 
putting up what looks like reasonable XG, it seems to be condensed into a small number of high high value chances, which obviously leads it lends itself to um, you know, if if they all go in, we we look like we're kind of home and hosed, and if if not, then then we're we're struggling to hang on, as John has suggested. And also, the other question that I have for you is, you know, have we seen any evidence at all that Jesse Marsh has got anything else up his sleeve than the than the than the very basic principles of kind of counter pressing and high energy and direct play that we've seen so far? Honestly, no, and that is the biggest concern for me. It's like when we can't create enough through the counter-press or in the chaos that we cause in their half, what do we actually do? It's not like we don't have some creative individuals in the squad, but are we really getting the best out of them all the time? Are we really getting them into the areas to threaten, unless it's from some sort of pressing action or a turnover or mistake from the opposition? Um, And for me, we don't do that enough, not regularly anyway. Um, And and we need solutions. We need other ideas, in my opinion. And uh, that's not something that... Marsh has ever really done other than there's some small tweaks to his system in terms of last season we saw him play a little bit 3-4-3 or a little bit of sort of 5-3-2 or whatever we saw a little bit where he decided I'm going to go five at the back against certain sides but against the teams around us like Palace um, it's not something that he he's ever done and it's he's very wedded to this I'm going to count the press idea and, and as soon as Vieira tweaked it and He's even stated what the tweet was and everyone could see that he was going to go more direct. I said it when I was in the pub with my friends in the first half. I was worried that they were just going to suddenly start hitting the balls down the channels more directly. And if they did that, I didn't know what we were going to do because I was really happy with how we started. But I thought Mm. this is really easy for them to bypass if they want to do it. And then they did. So, yeah, to answer your second question there, I I don't really know what he does because it doesn't feel like he's ever come up with any kind of solutions, even though, like I said, we've got some creative players in the final third, some creative players from deeper. If you look at the players like Strauch, like Rocker, like Cock, they're pretty high up in the ball progression statistics this season in the league. And and that's in the entire league as well. So you've got players there who who might be able to play out from the back and might be able to give us a platform. But under Marsh, it's not something we're going to ever do. So yeah, that does worry me. And I don't know what your first question was again. You didn't really phrase uh, it as a question. No, I didn't. I just asked you I just invited you to ruminate on Leeds chance creation and and the, the the value and number of the chances that we're making at the moment. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Like, it's, it's strange, isn't it? And if your main way of creating chances is through counter-pressing uh, as well, then I think Hobbsy was the one who mentioned this earlier and he made a really good point of it, that if you can't possess the football, then really you should be getting the ball into areas where you might be able to counter-press. Like, even if you can't create something yourself, then at least create moments and opportunities to you know, cause chaos and counter press. The football's not going to look pretty, but it might be effective if we do that. And we didn't even do that yesterday. And and part of me thinks maybe it's because Bamford went off and he gives you more of a platform to build from up front and you're someone who you can hit more directly. And from that moment onwards, we didn't really have that when he went mm-hmm. off. So mm-hmm. perhaps that's why that didn't happen. But maybe that's a solution, but I don't really know. Because at the moment, like you say, we're not really creating enough ourselves unless it's through some sort of pressing action. I think it's it's worth saying because this is something that I hear a lot which is oh you know obviously the the club recognize that there's going to be some kind of in possession problem which is why they brought in Rennie Marich as though like the solution to the problems that we're having are simply bringing in a manager who can bring that aspect to the game. Um I don't think it's as simple as that and I don't think it's as simple as that because I think the whole point of the style of play that we've adopted is 
too structurally set up for those counter-pressing moments. Yeah. And if you're doing that, then you are necessarily adopting a position which is we don't worry too much about in possession, the in possession side of things, because actually we benefit from being out of possession, which is why Josh's point is correct that, you know, if you, if you aren't able to get the, 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 the counter press that you need, then you try and get the ball into those areas where you can then spring the counter press. To then say, well, you know, maybe if we brought in someone who's going to be doing like good possession football stuff on top of that it's not so simple as just being like well out of possession we'll press and then in possession we'll just possess the ball in in a in a way that you know some of the better coaches in the premier league are doing it because those two concepts are just entirely detrimental to one Mm -hmm. another they're they're Mm -hmm. contradictory because on the one hand you're trying to manipulate space in such a way as to be able to hold on to the ball and obviously there are teams those teams who do that are going to try and counter press but those are very those are very localized counter presses, which are designed to slow the ball down in order to get yourself into a defensive position. Whereas what we're talking about is the opposite. It's about counter pressing the ball to get yourself into an attacking position. And those two ideas are just diametrically opposed. So I, either I think you say, okay, this project has failed. Let's move on. Let's bring in a different manager who's going to be a specialist in possession football. Uh, or you just have to accept that we're not going to be able to possess the ball in the sorts of dangerous ways that we're going to want to. But the mm. other problem is that we've not just got the structure now for it. We've also got the personnel that are not all of them, but some of them are like more for this system and for this style of play. So you Tyler Adams and you Brendan Aronsons of the world looked quite impressive in that first half an hour yesterday, basically because a lot of the football was chaotic and a lot of it was counter-pressing. Like Tyler Adams was basically everywhere in that first half an hour and he looked really good. And then he dropped off a cliff when we had to actually sort of pass the ball out and he didn't look very good at all in the second half. So the problem is that if you want to then go to a, a more possession-based style because we've decided this isn't going to work for us anymore, as you say, John, then do we have the players for that? I'd say maybe a few, but not in every single third of the pitch are we sort of set up to change drastically mm. in style. But this is a question that should have been raised before we brought Jesse Marsh in because I think it wasn't without the realms of possibility that someone could have looked at the Premier League and done some kind of due diligence tactical style assessment and and worked out that that might not be the best way of approaching this. But um, here we are. Mm. And and John, just just to the point about changes in game, like beyond bringing on a player who might might change things a little bit, like his go to seems to be Mateus Click at the moment to to try yeah. and get into some spaces, or you know possibly like playing numbers roulette and just redistributing the players a little bit. It really doesn't seem that there's any way that Marsh is able to, has an, even has ideas about how to influence the game, right? That's how I'm seeing it. Yeah, I agree as well. Um, I think that we what we've seen from his like spell at Leipzig is that he'll try an approach and if he doesn't think it's working, he'll then f- switch up the formation, which is, like, I don't know, it sort of seems like a classic coach in trouble approach, right? It's the sort mm. of thing that you'd see coaches at the bottom of the Premier League doing as well so yeah, um, yeah. I, I think it's it maybe worth as well as talking about the fact that like if you look at the underlying numbers they're not so bad um, yeah. which I yeah. think a lot of people are, are bringing up and I think there's a number of reasons for that I think obviously there's a small sample size issue there um, I also think that Red Bull football, because it is chaotic, does mean that you occasionally generate um, some big chances um, uh, out of nowhere and but I do also think that the fact that 
because Red Bull football relies on chaos, I think you're almost making those chances harder for yourself as well. Um, so they are outlier chances. They're not the sorts of chances that most teams are generating. Um, and because of the, the frantic and intense nature of, of the, of the, um, the play style that I, I do think that maybe throws up, um, some interesting stuff there as well. The other thing is, is that we were talking about it before is that, okay, Leeds generated a couple of decent chances in the first half. But they created those chances within 10 minutes and the rest of the time they did nothing. Um, yeah. And so I think sometimes we look at the underlying numbers and assume that those underlying numbers were generated in the way that most teams usually generate them, which I don't think is the case. So Leeds will have a, a, peri- a short period of dominance and, and have a couple of decent chances and then do nothing for, for long periods. Um, whereas I think, you know, most of the time a team putting up those sorts of um underlying numbers would probably have more control of the ball and that would mean that they were less likely to concede um, dangerous chances as well so I do think there's lots of things going on that I'm not smart enough to really be able to get to the bottom of Um, but I do think that's worth keeping in mind as well Um, and Mm. I think what we're seeing is that leads are getting figured out in games um, and that's the concerning thing it's 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 not that leads aren't ever playing okay it's that we're playing an outlier style of football which is causing some teams problems but they're able to come and half time solve it come out and actually cause us problems in the second half and that's just going to happen more and more as the season goes on I I don't expect us to get better from this point Mm. okay Uh, before we talk we will come to the positives in the end listeners I do (laughs) promise but but before that we're going to do a couple of other questions so um, Adam uh, Liam Cooper was back in the team um, and had one of his one of his days and there's there's been a bit of narrative around Cooper um, for the entirety of his Leeds career to be fair um, but you know some suggestions um, you know uh, I saw Ethan from online saying that uh, Liam Cooper is one of those players who the, the less he plays the more appealing it is to have him in the team yada 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 and all that kind of thing what what do you what do you make of um, Cooper's performance yesterday? Yeah, you know, I don't like criticising because I do really like Liam Cooper, to be quite honest. But it's it's a shame because Llorente was dropped for the similar sort of stuff that Cooper's now done, in, in, in especially in the last game, but also a little bit in the Aston Villa game as well. Um, and so we're at a point now where do we drop him now and we put someone else in? For me, I, I wasn't impressed with him yesterday. And, and the free kick is whatever because it's near the halfway line and it's silly, but... It it shouldn't culminate in a goal. There are other errors leading to that, and and past the point of the free kick being given away as well. But I mean, more than anything, this this sort of highlights the negligence that we didn't sign the left back. And I know this is going to sound stupid, but just bear with me, Darren. Um, if we'd signed a competent left back who can stay fit for ninety minutes regularly, rather than having Junior Firpo as the only senior left back at the club, then the possibility to play Pascal Strauch in his best position as a centre back is there, and then you could have a pairing of Cock and Pascal Strauch and that for me is our best partnership on paper um, but because we haven't signed a left back we haven't got that ability to do that um, I am really impressed with Pascal as a left back so far I think he's been really really decent there considering it's not his natural position and considering he does lack some of the athleticism to play there but it would have been nice if we'd signed a left back to play the what could have been our best centre-back pairing and basically our youngest centre-back pairing as well Um so yeah, for me, I, I don't want to talk about dropping him straight away, but it is concerning um, when he's doing things like he did yesterday, and he doesn't even offer. He did yesterday at least. He didn't really offer much in possession either. But then, as we mentioned, I don't know how much to blame the system for that. Mm. John Liam Cooper's got a mistake in him's hardly news, is it? 
No, look, so many of the situations that are generated on a football pitch do emerge from the the sort of structures and and situations that players are put into. Um, Liam Cooper gives away a free kick in a silly area. Like, fair enough, players do that all the time. Um, But I think in the situation where he, he charges out and... Um, and jumps in for the second goal. I mean, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And I think that's, that's kind of the problem. I saw the same thing, the same criticism of, of Luke Ayling the other week, where people were saying, you know, he's jumping in way too aggressively in a situation when we were a player down. Um, but that's the play style. <laughs> like, that, yeah. If you don't that want, if you don't, like, how many red cards have we had since Jesse Marsh has come in? Like, yeah. if you don't, if you don't want to, play if you want don't want our players to play like that the issue isn't with the players the issue is with the manager because the the in- team instruction for that is is coming from the manager it's about intensity it's about it's about getting to those challenges quickly and and that that's that is I don't know how else I can say it other than that's just a direct correlation from what the manager is telling him. I mean, you only need to listen to his half-time talk in the Champions League when he's at RB Salzburg to hear that like what he cares about is intensity from his players. And so those players will be going in at half-time and being told you need to be more intense, you know, to feel respect for De Gegna, as he says, right? It's too much respect mm-hmm. for the opposition. And mm-hmm. um, it, it's all about, you know, pressing and, and being aggressive. And, and I think that's just... That's just a byproduct of that. We've seen plenty of situations with Diego Llorente, uh, with with Liam Cooper. We've seen um, players getting sent off, jumping in in silly situations. And I just think, you know, <laughs> that these these scenarios are generated by the structure, and then the the mistakes are almost encouraged by uh, an overly aggressive style of play. It's not how I would like things to be, uh, and I'm maybe being a little bit too vitriolic against it, but I. I think it's just super important that people recognize that that these things are not unconnected. Like the reason why I am fairly negative in my assessment of Jesse Marsh is not because of of anything that he's done intrinsically. It's because I don't like this style of football and I don't and and I don't like the fact that people let him get away with things like this as just the fault of the players or the fault of the mm. you know the the referee or whatever when you, if you go in with that mindset, then you generate these sorts of problems for yourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's just part and parcel of the, the play style. Mm. John, where does Marsh go from here? Because I'm starting to see like a bit of a wave of people starting to doubt him really for the first time. I mean, to be fair, I'm also seeing some people saying it would be fine if we'd got a, a striker and a left back. And there are even some people that are saying that we are fine. Um, and and I, I know, I think I know where you stand on this, but where, where, what does the... What does the future look like for Marsh? What's the next few weeks bring for him? Do you think? I don't know. I think that <laughs> I think that they will probably justify this to themselves um, because of the start that we had to the season. I, I think it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because like you take away that Chelsea result, or put it the other way around, and there's any number of reasons why that Chelsea result could have gone a different way, and we yeah. look in a very different situation right now, right? We'd be we'd be sort of bobbing along above the the relegation zone, and maybe that would be enough for them to to maybe rethink th- through things. But I think that until we approach that relegation zone in a real way, I don't think they'll do anything uh, about about Marsh. Uh, I, I know that some people have suggested that, you know, if we don't get a result against Arsenal and obviously Arsenal are the team to beat in the Premier League right now, um, mm. we then go to Fulham who've had like a fairly good start themselves. If we go through that game and don't win it, then yeah, y- you start wondering whether or not the, the, the patience will run out. But I think there's a lot riding on Jesse Marsh from the point of view of the owners 
because they made a big call in getting rid of Marcelo Bielsa early in the season um, and they made a big thing of the fact that we stayed up with Jesse Marsh and they've they've made all kinds of claims about X, Y and Z. Um, so for them to actually get rid of Jesse Marsh, you feel as though that would be also... Uh, it would it would also um, it would catalyze I think like a movement that would be arguing that maybe Victor Orta should go for example because so much mm. of his tenure is sort of tied up in in this sort of decision and it as time goes on it is looking more and more like the only good thing that has happened at Leeds in the last five years is is them bringing in or ten years is, is them bringing in Marcelo Bielsa, him bringing us to the Premier League and then everything falling to pieces from that point onwards. And obviously, Marcelo Bielsa is not without fault in that regard. And I don't think any of us would pretend otherwise. But absolutely, he 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 does deserve the credit that he gets for getting Leeds into the Premier League. And um, at, at the moment, I'm not really seeing credit elsewhere in terms of uh, like managerial appointments or or even like to in a certain extent signings, especially if they decide that the route that they've taken isn't the route that they want to go with Jesse Marsh. Because where where do you go? That's the that's the question. Like, do you bring in another manager like this? In which case, the question becomes. What if the play style is a problem? Um, if you bring in another manager, you're in the situation which Adam was talking about, which was you now have a squad that is entirely unsuited for uh, a, a different play style. Um, and so, yeah, it's a bit of a mess in that respect. So I suspect that they will keep it going for as long as possible to stave off any of these sorts of questions. Mm. Adam, what's your take on all this? Well, I think there'll be some question marks certainly in the boardroom at the moment as to what's going on, considering the manner of the performances over the last five games and the teams that we played in that time, um, you, you, apart from maybe Everton, you um, haven't really played well enough in any of those games to expect to win. Uh, so that is probably the main concern. And like I said, these are sides that are sort of around us. You've got Everton, Villa, Brentford, Palace, and then probably the only one that's sort of an outlier to that is Brighton. And we've got two points in that time. So it's definitely concerning. And I think Marsh he'll probably be feeling a little bit more pressure, but at the same time, we have to remember that Auto made a big song and dance out of this when he came in and how he'd been someone he'd been in contact with for like two years or something like that before he appointed him. And even last week in the Telegraph, I was reading that Auto had uh, doubled down on Marsh being his guy and we had all faith with him and stuff like that. But yeah, as it, having said that, the performances and the results, both of which haven't been good enough lately, so it wouldn't be a surprise to see Maybe in time, I'm not saying very, very near future, but nearish future that something could change. And, and what I mean by that is we've got a World Cup coming up and that would be for a lot of owners and not just our own, but for a lot of, of owners and boards, that would be a, a good time to sort of reset yourselves, have a rethink, you know, change the manager. You could kind of almost have another mini preseason whilst the other international players are on duty and, and, and like I said, reset almost. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, going into the sort of World Cup period that that we wouldn't be looking at a new manager if this were to continue. Having said that, we do play Fulham and Leicester coming up and it does feel like those are going to be minimum four points sort of whole games. And if we don't get that, then I, I would maybe slightly disagree with John. And at that point, I would say, yeah, there would be considerable pressure put on Marsh. Mm. I would think. Do you read anything, Adam, into the fact that Marsh is already talking about pressure and stress so a few games into the season? Um, not too much. He talked about that a lot last season as well in the, in the back end of the season and he but sorry he, Adam just to interrupt he, he said that at the end of last season in the context of a pretty desperate relegation fight true. and we're only eight games or nine games into the season 
then maybe he's realistic as, as to what our position should be this season. And I think some fans need to wake up to that. Uh, I've been personally quite bullish about we are in another relegation battle this season. I would feel unlikely that we'll finish much above sort of 13th, 14th and, and people are kidding themselves because of a nice win against Chelsea. You have to just look at the last five games to realise that, yeah, we are under pressure. And I'm glad that Marsh is recognising that, even though we are such a few games in. And Adam, just uh, so that we can leave yesterday's game on a slightly more positive note, what, what positives can you take away from yesterday's game? Um, yeah, so from a tactical point of view, I would say the press we proved that it can work and it can nullify teams and be effective, even though there are obvious easy ways that they can structurally break us down and play around us. And we talked about that already, but it, it at least shows that it's got better than it was last season. It didn't even feel like last season, other than a couple of games, we even tried to counter press in the way that Marshall would have liked. And now I'm at least seeing it on a more regular basis. And uh, yesterday's game, like I said, was probably one of the best examples of that so far. Um, yeah, and, and, and a couple of other big plus points for me is that we are clearly, for me, even if he was quite rusty, a better team as a unit, pressing from the front and holding on to the ball in the right areas and, and it's sticking in the right areas with Bamford on the field. And even though they only played 62 minutes yesterday, it, it did feel like that when we were actually trying to get the ball into the final third that you know, it could actually stick to him and something could happen. But he now needs to build his fitness because he can only manage 62 minutes and then he comes off and we looked absolutely woeful in that last half an hour. We couldn't really do anything at all. And if anyone was going to win it, it was going to be Palace. So we need him to build that sharpness again quickly now. But if he does and he gets that rustiness off him, then I think that chances like that one early on in the game, I think John described it as a 0.3 uh, XG chance in the group chat earlier. But you'd like to think that Bamford would do better with that if you gave him that chance after a run of maybe five or six games under his belt, uh, where he's sort of built up some fitness and some confidence again. Um, but yeah, he uh, he was a positive for me because he, even though he's missing chances like that, we at least look more of a team with him than without him. Um, and then a few individuals I was I was happy enough with yesterday. Pasca again was so, solid and, and I'm delighted with his development so far this season, even though he's not playing in his natural position. And I thought that uh, Harrison was pretty busy, even though he didn't necessarily create loads he was he was pressing well and he was in the right areas to to do damage a lot of the time and for me in the first half he was probably our man of the match but in the end I think Christensen probably was our best player and he probably had his best game in a lead shirt I think he had nine tackle interceptions in the game uh four blocks and he completed like 16 pressures which is his most so far this season in any individual game for all of those stats so from a defensive sort of point of view he definitely did well in nullifying Zaha and, and shutting him down so that was good but even though on the ball I would still like to see a little bit more from him there were a few good individual performances and I would, I would say he was probably thank you anything to add John excellent let's move on to the Arsenal preview I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com people today Burroughs furniture is built for the way you live from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating. They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. 
And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. John, tell us how good Arsenal are now. Yeah, Arsenal are very good. Arsenal are moving from a situation where I think they were quite good out of possession and sort of mediocre in possession to a situation now where they're very good in possession because they are so flexible. And what I mean by that is that they have lots of different ways of overcoming opposition approaches that will allow them to um, actually build up in any situation, depending on what the um, the opposition are throwing at them. So they're obviously a positional play team, so they're going to look and try and possess the ball. They're going to try and get um, into channels in the pitch, spread their uh, players around, have nice spacing uh, and generate these dangerous chances. And they now have the build-up system to be able to really do that against lots of different opponents. So, yeah, I think they are the second best team in the Premier League right now. Yeah, they're absolutely delightful to watch. Um Adam, how do you expect Arsenal to approach this game? Are they they're then not going to worry too much about Leeds, are they? They're, gonna, they're just going to do what they do, right? Well, first of all, I must say I, I now have a, an Arsenal housemate, so there's a lot of skin in this game for me, and I am terrified, as John says, probably the second best team in the league. Um, and in all honesty, Darren, yeah, I don't think they're going to be too worried about what we do. Uh, for them, they can play out the back so flexibly, as John mentioned, that it doesn't really matter now. They've got so many different ways to do it and and even in yesterday's game against Liverpool which I did watch after Leeds slightly depressed but I watched it nonetheless you had players like the way that Arteta used Tommy Asu uh, and it was interesting how he used him last season against Leeds but in this game yesterday it was it was interesting again and like realizing that having a right-footed but he's kind of two-footed player at left back was going to be really beneficial in and out of possession so in possession He's obviously very two-footed. He's very comfortable playing out with the ball and out of possession. If Salah was ever going to cut inside onto his left foot, Tommy Asu had that covered. And if he'd played, I think Zinchenko was injured, but if he played Tierney there, who was on the bench, then that would have been a problem for them because he would have been sort of tackling with his weaker foot, whereas Tommy Asu was, was really impressive the other day in, in nullifying Salah. And there's just so many ways now that they can play out. The, the players they have in possession in, in the defence is... Uh, there's so many of them are, are comfortable with the ball and also capable of playing out with both feet. So you've got, like I mentioned, Tommy Asu, but Ben White, as we know very well at Leeds, very comfortable in, in playing out, very composed on the ball and, and good with both feet. And then Talib has just been probably, probably the best centre-back in the league this season. It is absolutely wonderful in possession. So if we're going to look to press them, we're probably going to um, encounter some issues with that because many of their players in those sort of areas are just going to be able to you know, knock it round us or, or just pass it round us really easily uh, and just bypass it. And and so I am a little bit concerned as to how the counter-press is going to look against a team that have a clearly higher technical ceiling of footballer in their, in their side. Mm. Yep. Let's think a little bit about the Leeds team then. Adam, are you expecting anything other than Sinistera back in Rodrigo out? I, d- I don't even know if Rodrigo will be out. But I think Sinistera will definitely be in in some capacity. I, w- I would hope Rodrigo came out because I think for the good of the team and structure, I think it makes sense to drop a player who's not very good out of possession and isn't a very good pressure of the ball. I would rather have Harrison, Aronson and Sinistera, even though I think Aronson in a central role isn't necessarily the best. If those three are behind Bamford, I still think we have at least uh, a good amount of, 
of players that will press the ball and press it quite effectively. So if we're going to do it, those those four would be the best four to do it. However, I think there is a possibility that not just because of recent performances and results, but because of what we saw at the end of last season with Marsh, when he went to three at the back or five at the back against some of the better teams, I think there's a possibility that he might do that again. I don't think it's completely likely, but it, I wouldn't say it's out of the question either. I think it's something that will definitely be playing on his mind. So there's a possibility that we, we see three centre-backs maybe and, and a left wing-back and a right wing-back. Um, so yeah, don't be surprised to see that, I would say. Yeah. John, what do you think? How do we approach this game? Do we do we dig in for a point? Do we try get the counter press involved? Do we run around a lot? Do we, how, <laughs> how does it work? Well, Arsenal have just played against Liverpool, and I talked about flexibility before. But in terms of build up, Arsenal have used a number of different build up structures this season. So they can use the what we would call like a two three system which yeah. is you've got your two center backs and then your full backs invert around your pivot player uh, and you can sort of overload in the central area and you can build up through that we've also seen them use a 3-2 structure which is only one of your full backs inverts and usually you'll do that if you're against a team that have two strikers for example and you want to have um, what you call a numerical superiority basically just more players in the first line of the press um, than them as well but what we saw them do against Liverpool was they played basically a 4-1 structure so they kept their full backs in the same line as their centre-backs they didn't push them forward too much and it just gave them a huge amount of width in that first line of the press um and what happens is when you do that is that i mean against liverpool it meant that the opposition went flat pretty much against them so liverpool were playing a 442 um count a uh, mid-block sorry so um they, they were usually they were sort of nominally playing a four two three one and then out of possession they were pushing their tent up into alongside the nine which is something that Leeds do um and yeah Yeah. they were being tempted out to push on the Arsenal fullbacks um and it just meant that their front line of four just um were were flat essentially creating in space in behind those two players the wide players um and obviously to cover that your fullbacks push up which is again the same as what Leeds do um and if you can do that then you can find space in behind the fullback on the ball side and if you keep doing that um you'll generate space in behind and then you you can just sort of play the crossfield ball uh, from there and they had a lot of joy against Liverpool doing that so that is essentially the pressing structure that Leeds use um so I think that that's what Arsenal will probably do. I think they'll probably just stick with the same sort of um, structure potentially to try and spread Leeds' press in the forward area apart as much as possible uh, and Mm. generate as much space in the central midfield space um, area as possible. Um, and if you can do that, you can then transition quite nicely through uh, and then get in behind the fullback in those, in those areas. If you've got Martinelli and Saka on either side, then they'll, they'll probably have uh, quite a bit of fun. So yeah, I, th- I suspect that's what they will do. Um, and we've seen teams do that against us last season as well. Um, yeah. So it's just, it's just a case of, as we said before, like if you can, if you can, put as much space in between the Leeds players as possible you make the press harder and if you do that then yeah Leeds don't have a huge amount outside of that so yeah Adam Arsenal once they get into those advanced areas have got a lot of a lot of threat from a lot of different players um how do you anticipate that Leeds will manage those um is it just going to be a case of cross your fingers and hope for the best (laughs) as it as it feels like it is sometimes when, when when teams attack us I'm I'm more wondering how he's going to use Adams in this game in, in nullifying Erdegaard and, and wondering if, I know he doesn't necessarily man-mark Jesse Marsh, but whether that's maybe an option that's playing on his mind of, of just sticking someone on him because he is obviously 
their most creative player. But like you mentioned, there's just so many attacking threats now. And the way that Jesus just pulls centre-backs around with his movement and his pace is it's just another thing to think about alongside the likes of Martinelli and Saka, who were both absolutely outstanding against Liverpool. And if they're playing that well against Liverpool, then you just wonder what they could do to Leeds. And yeah, they, they created like nearly 3xG against Liverpool in the game yesterday. And, and so, yeah, I, I don't really know other than I think that we're probably going to do a five at the back, deep block with Adams maybe chasing and around after Erdegaard all game and hoping that he, he can sort of stop him from creating one of those big moments that he's capable, he's very capable of doing. Mm. John, where are Arsenal going to be vulnerable to, to Leeds? Uh, I think Arsenal have that vulnerability that all really elite positional sides have, which yeah. is in counter-attack. Um they will be trying to possess the ball in the final third and hold on to it for as long as possible. But yeah, they will get into the situations where um, they will turn the ball over and then it will be a case of looking at where their defence is situated in those moments, something that we call rest defence in, in tactic nerd speak. Um, but essentially that just is saying, will Arsenal be in a good defensive structure from their possessional um, moments to, to be able to deal with counter-attacks? To be honest, I I don't know how much we can cause them trouble from that sort of thing because, you know, teams who are good in at counter-attacking are usually like well-structured for that kind of thing. And I'm not entirely sure how well-structured we are for that kind of uh, approach. And, and Arsenal do do have a, a pretty decent structure in those moments. Um, but I think that, that should be the thing that we that we are sort of focusing on, getting the ball forward quickly uh, and trying to cause Arsenal problems in transition. And I guess Sinister is a player that is going to be pretty useful to have back for that so that that's probably the one area where I'm hoping that in a counter-attack or transition that we can get him on the ball running at them directly but there isn't many other answers I agree with John. Adam describe what you think watching this game of football is going to be like <laughs> well you know your analogy earlier with the nail and the hammer <laughs> just imagine imagine that but instead it's, it's Arsenal just absolutely smashing this hammer against this nail um, over and over repeatedly and we've just got to hope that they keep missing the nail <laughs> and that it somehow slips out and we manage to wait a minute no no. <laughs> the, no no wait a minute in in this analogy though what 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 arsenal have got is they've got they've got a great drill they've got a great <laughs> they've got a great craftsman doing the work they yeah. know exactly they know exactly what they're doing they're going to bop a little hole they're very well the, drilled they're, it's yeah. just yeah it's not it's not <laughs> we're, we're going to like be trying to throw the hammer up the pitch, I think is is how it's is yeah. How it's our, hammer, work. our little, our tiny little hammer we'll yeah. throwing up at the pitch and hoping that it hits their like massive nail and somehow makes a dent. Absolutely, but, yeah. absolutely. Um, I mean, we we have tortured that metaphor as much as I expect Arsenal to torture us <laughs> uh, yes. at, the, at the weekend. Um, John, where will the game be won or lost? Uh, yeah, it will be it will be lost because we're not very good at football right now <laughs> it'll be one if I don't know if we can do what we did against Chelsea and the gods smile in our favour mm. Adam any advances oh we just yeah ride our luck enough and um, hopefully a couple of counter attacks go in or a set piece maybe that's probably another area where we, we might have some joy but yeah it's not looking likely is it no my boss is an Arsenal fan uh, th- but thankfully he's not going to be at work next week because he's going on holiday so well I live with one so yeah, so anyway, worse. yeah, that is going to be worse. <laughs> so what is going to be worse is that if we don't, if we do actually end up winning this game, all of the Jesse Marsh stands are going to be berating us for, you so. yeah. t- for being negative. So 
Yeah. yeah. Well, that's okay. We're used to that, John. It's not wouldn't be the first time that particular <laughs> tune has played in our ear, would it? That's um, true. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, we will be back this time next Monday with a review of the Arsenal match. Um, but until then, everybody, do enjoy the game, even if it's just enjoying watching a good team play against us. And have a great week. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.